Chapter 12 of the Conquest of Bread. This is a LibraVox recording. All LibraVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibraVox.org. Recording by Enko. The Conquest of Bread by Peter Kropotkin. Objections. Part 1. Let us now examine the principal objections put forth against communism. Most of them are evidently caused by a simple misunderstanding, yet they raise important questions and merit our attention. It is not for us to answer the objections raised by authoritarian communism. We ourselves hold with them. Civilized nations have suffered too much in the long hard struggle for the emancipation of the individual to disown their past work and to tolerate a government that would make itself felt in the smallest details of a citizen's life, even if that government had no other aim than the good of the community. Should an authoritarian socialist society ever succeed in establishing itself, it could not last. General discontent would soon force it to break up or to reorganize itself on principles of liberty. It is of an anarchist communist society we are about to speak, a society that recognizes the absolute liberty of the individual, that does not admit of any authority, and makes use of no compulsion to drive men to work. Limiting our studies to the economic side of the question, let us see if such a society, composed of men as they are today, neither better nor worse, neither more nor less industrious, would have a chance of successful development. The objection is known. If the existence of each is guaranteed, and if the necessity of earning wages does not compel men to work, nobody will work. Every man will leave the burden of his work on another, if he is not forced to do it himself. Let us first note the incredible levity with which this objection is raised, without even realizing that the real question raised by this objection is merely to know on the one hand whether you effectively obtain by wage work the results that are said to be obtained, and on the other hand whether voluntary work is not already now more productive than work stimulated by wages. A question which to be dealt with properly would require a serious study. But whereas in exact sciences men give their opinion on subjects infinitely less important and less complicated, after serious research, after carefully collecting and analyzing facts, on this question we will pronounce judgment without appeal, resting satisfied with any one particular event, such as, for example, the want of success of some communist association in America. They act like the barrister who does not see in the council for the opposite side a representative of a cause or an opinion contrary to his own, but a simple nuisance, an adversary in an oratorical debate and if he be lucky enough to find a reporty, does not otherwise care to justify his cause. Therefore the study of this essential basis of all political economy, the study of the most favourable conditions for giving society the greatest amount of useful products with the least waste of human energy, does not advance. People either limit themselves to repeating commonplace assertions, or else they pretend ignorance of our assertions. What is most striking in this levity is that even in capitalist political economy, we already find a few writers compelled by facts to doubt the axiom put forth by the founders of their science, that the threat of hunger is man's best stimulant for productive work. They begin to perceive that in production a certain collective element is introduced, which has been too much neglected up till now, and which might be more important than personal gain. The inferior quality of wage work, the terrible waste of human energy in modern agricultural and industrial labor, the ever-growing quantity of pleasure-seekers 
who shift their burden on to others' shoulders the absence of a certain animation in production that is becoming more and more apparent all this is beginning to preoccupy the economists of the classical school some of them ask themselves if they have not got on the wrong track if the imaginary evil being that was supposed to be tempted exclusively by a bit of luck or wages really exist this heresy penetrates even into universities it is found in books of orthodox economy but this does not prevent a great many socialist reformers from remaining partisans of individual remuneration and defending the old citadel of wagedom notwithstanding that it is being delivered over stone by stone to the assayants by its former defenders they fear that without compulsion the masses will not work but during our own lifetime have we not heard the same fears expressed twice once by the anti-abolitionists in america before the emancipation of the negroes and for a second time by the russian nobility before the liberation of the serfs without the whip the negro will not work said the anti-abolitionists free from their master's supervision the serfs will leave the fields uncultivated said the russians of owners it was the refrain of the french nobleman in seventeen eighty nine the refrain of the middle ages a refrain as old as the world and we shall hear it every time there is a question of sweeping away an injustice and each time actual facts give it the lie the liberated peasant of seventeen ninety two bluffed with an eager energy unknown to his ancestors the emancipated negro works more than his fathers and the russian peasant after having honoured the honeymoon of his emancipation by celebrating fridays as well as sundays has taken up work with an eagerness proportionate to the completeness of his liberation there where the soil is his he works desperately that is the exact word for it the anti-abolitionist refrain can be of value to slave owners as to the slaves themselves they know what it is worth as they know its motive moreover who but the economists themselves taught us that while a wage earner's work is very often indifferent and intense and productive work is only obtained from a man who sees his wealth increase in proportion to his efforts all hymns sung in honour of private property can be reduced to this action for it is remarkable that when economists wishing to celebrate the blessings of property show us how an unproductive marshy or stony soil is clothed with rich harvests when cultivated by the peasant proprietor they in no wise prove their thesis in favour of private property by admitting that the only guarantee not to be robbed of the fruits of your labour is to possess the instruments of labour which is true the economists only prove that man really produces most when he works in freedom when he has a certain choice in his occupations when he has no overseer to impede him and lastly when he sees his work bringing in a profit to him and to others who work like him but bringing in little to idlers nothing else can be deducted from their argumentation and this is what we maintain ourselves as to the form of possession of the instruments of labour the economists only mention it indirectly in their demonstration as a guarantee to the cultivator that he shall not be robbed of the profits of his yield nor of his improvements besides in support of their thesis in favour of private property against all other forms of possession should not the economists demonstrate that under the form of communal property land never produces such rich harvest as when the possession is private but this they could not prove in fact it is the contrary that has been observed take for example a commune in the canton of wood in the winter time when all the men of the village go to fell wood in the forest which belongs to them all it is precisely during these festivals of labour that the greatest order for work and the most considerable display of human energy are apparent no salaried labour no effort of a private owner can bear comparison with it 
or let us take a russian village when all its inhabitants mow a field belonging to the commune or farmed by it there you will see what man can produce when he works in common for communal production comrades vie with one another in cutting the widest wave women bestire themselves in their wake so as not to be distanced by the mowers it is a festival of labour in which a hundred people accomplish in a few hours a work that would not have been finished in a few days had they worked separately what a miserable contrast compared to them is offered by the work of the isolated owner in fact we might quote scores of examples among the pioneers of america in swiss german russian and in certain french villages all the work done in russia by gangs open bracket artels close bracket of masons carpenters boatmen fishermen etc who undertake a task and divide the produce of the remuneration among themselves without it passing through an intermediary of middlemen or else the amount of work i saw performed in english shipyards when the remuneration was paid on the same principle we could also mention the great communal hunts of nomadic tribes and an infinite number of successful collective enterprises and in every case we could show the unquestionable superiority of communal work compared to that of the wage earner or the isolated private owner well-being that is to say the satisfaction of physical artistic and moral needs has always been the most powerful stimulant to work and where a hireling hardly succeeds to produce the bare necessities with difficulty a free worker who sees ease and luxury increasing for him and for others in proportion to his efforts spends infinitely far more energy and intelligence and obtains products in a far greater abundance the one feels riveted to misery the other hopes for ease and luxury in the future in this lies the whole secret therefore a society aiming at the well-being of all and at the possibility of all enjoying life in all its manifestations will give voluntary work which will be infinitely superior and yield far more than work has produced up till now under the good of slavery serfdom or wagedom part two nowadays whoever can load on others his share of labour indispensable to existence does so and it is believed that it will always be so now work indispensable to existence is essentially manual we may be artists or scientists but none of us can do without things obtained by manual work bread clovers rods roads ships light heat etc and moreover however highly artistic or however subtly metaphysical are our pleasures they all depend on manual labour and it is precisely this labour the basis of life that everyone tries to avoid we understand perfectly well that it must be so nowadays because to do manual work now means in reality to shut yourself up for ten or twelve hours a day in an unhealthy workshop and to remain chained to the same task for twenty or thirty years and maybe for your whole life it means to be doomed to a paltry wage to the uncertainty of the morrow to want of work often to destitution more often than not to death in a hospital after having worked forty years to feed clothe amuse and instruct others than yourself and your children it means to bear the stamp of inferiority all your life because whatever the politicians tell us the manual worker is always considered inferior to the brain worker and the one who has toiled ten hours in a workshop has not the time and still less the means to give himself the high delights of science and art nor even to prepare himself to appreciate them he must be content with the crumbs from the table of privileged persons we understand that under these conditions manual labour is considered a curse of fate we understand that all men have but one dream that of emerging from or enabling their children to emerge from this inferior state to create for themselves an independent position which means what to also live by other men's work 
as long as there will be a class of manual workers and a class of brain workers black hands and white hands it will be thus what interest in fact can this depressing work have for the worker when he knows that the fate awaiting him from the cradle to the grave will be to live in mediocrity poverty and insecurity of the morrow therefore when we see the immense majority of men take up their wretched tasks every morning we feel surprised at their perseverance at their zeal for work at the habit that enables them like machines blindly obeying an impetus given to lead this life of misery without hope for the morrow without foreseeing ever so vaguely that some day they or at least their children will be part of a humanity rich in all the treasures of a bountiful nature in all the enjoyments of knowledge scientific and artistic creation reserved today to a few privileged favorites it is precisely to put an end to this separation between manual and brain work that we want to abolish wagedom that we want the social revolution then work will no longer appear a curse of fate it will become what it should be the free exercise of all the faculties of man moreover it is time to submit to a serious analysis this legend about superior work supposed to be obtained under the lash of wagedom it would be sufficient to visit not the model factory and workshop that we find now and again but a number of ordinary factories to conceive the immense waste of human energy that characterizes modern industry for one factory more or less rationally organized there are a hundred or more which waste man's labor without any more substantial motive than that of perhaps bringing in a few pounds more per day to the employer here you see youths from twenty to twenty-five years of age sitting all day long on a bench their chests sunken in feverishly shaking their heads and bodies to tie with the speed of conjurers the two ends of worthless scraps of cotton the refuse of the lace looms what progeny will these trembling and rickety bodies bequeath to their country but they occupy so little room in the factory and each of them brings me in sixpence net every day will save the employer in an immense london factory we saw girls bald at seventeen from carrying trays of matches on their heads from one room to another when the simplest machine could wheel the matches to their tables but it costs so little the work of women who have no special trade why should we use a machine when these can do no more they will be easily replaced there are so many of them in the street on the steps of a mansion on an icy night you will find a barefooted child asleep with its bundle of papers in its arms child labor costs so little that it may be well employed every evening to sell ten penny worth of papers of which the poor boy will receive a penny or a penny half penny and continually in all big cities you may see robust men tramping about who have been out of work for months while their daughters grow pale in the overheated vapors of the workshops for dressing stuffs and their sons are filling blacking pots by hand or spend those years during which they ought to have learned a trade in carrying about baskets for a greengrocer and at the age of eighteen or twenty become regular unemployed and so it is everywhere from san francisco to moscow and from naples to stockholm the waste of human energy is the distinguishing and predominant trait of our industry not to mention trade where it attains still more colossal proportions what is sad satire is that name political economy given to the science of waste and energy under the system of wagedom this is not all if you speak to the director of a well-organized factory he will naively explain to you 
that it is difficult nowadays to find a skilful vigorous and energetic workman who works with a will should such a man present himself among the twenty or thirty who call every monday asking us for work he is sure to be received even if we are reducing the number of our hands we recognize him at the first glance and he is always accepted even though we have to get rid of an older and less active worker the next day and the one who has just received notice to quit and all those who will receive it tomorrow go to reinforce that immense reserve army of capital workmen out of work who are only called to the loom or the bench when there is pressure of work or to oppose strikers and those others the average workers who are sent away by the better class factories as soon as business is slackened they also join the formidable army of aged and indifferent workers who continually circulate among the second class factories those which barely cover their expenses and make their way in the world by trickery and snares laid for the buyer and especially for the consumer in distant countries and if you talk to the workmen themselves you will soon learn that the rule in such factories is never to do your best shoddy pay shoddy work this is the advice which the working man receives from his comrades upon entering such a factory for the workers know that if in a moment of generosity they give way to the entreaties of an employer and consent to intensify the work in order to carry out a pressing order this nervous work will be exacted in the future as a rule in the scale of wages therefore in all such factories they prefer never to produce as much as they can in certain industries production is limited so as to keep up high prices and sometimes the password gokeni is given which signifies bad work for bad pay wage work is self work it cannot it must not produce all that it could produce and it is high time to disbelieve a legend which represents wagedom as the best incentive to productive work if industry nowadays brings in a hundred times more than it did in the days of our grandfathers it is due to the sudden awakening of physical and chemical sciences towards the end of last century not to the capitalist organization of wagedom but in spite of that organization part three those who have seriously studied the question do not deny any of the advantages of communism on condition be it well understood that communism be perfectly free that is to say anarchist they recognize that work paid with money even disguised under the name of labor checks to workers associations governed by the state would keep up the characteristics of wagedom and would retain its disadvantages they agree that the whole system would soon suffer from it even if society came into possession of the instruments of production and they admit that thanks to an integral complete education given to all children to the laborious habits of civilized societies with the liberty of choosing and varying their occupations and the attractions of work done by equals for the well-being of all a communist society would not be wanting in producers who would soon make the fertility of the soil triple and tenfold and give a new impulse to industry this our opponents agreed to but the danger they say will come from that minority of loafers who will not work and will not have regular habits in spite of the excellent conditions that would make work pleasant today the prospect of hunger compels the most refractory to move along with the others the one who does not arrive in time is dismissed but one black sheep suffices to contaminate the whole flock and two or three sluggish or refractory workmen would lead the others astray and bring a spirit of disorder and rebellion into the workshop that would make work impossible so that in the end we should have to return to a system of compulsion that would force such ring leaders back into the ranks and then is not the system of wages paid in proportion to work performed the only one that enables compulsion to be employed without hurting the feelings of independence of a worker all other means would imply the continual intervention 
of an authority that would be repugnant to free men. This, we believe, is the objection fairly stated. To begin with, such an objection belongs to the category of arguments which try to justify the state, the penal law, the judge, and the gaoler. As they are people, a feeble minority, who will not submit to social customs, the authoritarians say, we must maintain magistrates, tribunals, and prisons, although these institutions become a source of new evils of all kinds. Therefore, we can only repeat what we have so often said concerning authority in general. To avoid a possible evil, you have recourse to means which in themselves are a greater evil, and become the source of those same abuses that you wish to remedy. For do not forget that it is wagedom, the impossibility of living otherwise than by selling your labour, which has created the present capitalist system, whose vices you begin to recognise. Besides, this way of reasoning is merely a sophistical justification of the evils of the present system. Wagedom was not instituted to remove the disadvantages of communism. Its origin, like that of a state and private ownership, is to be found elsewhere. It is born of slavery and serfdom imposed by force, and only wears a more modern garb. Thus the argument in favour of wagedom is as valueless as those by which they seek to apologise for private property and the state. We are nevertheless going to examine the objection, and see if there is any truth in it. First of all, is it not evident that if a society founded on the principle of free work, were really menaced by loafers, it could protect itself without the authoritarian organization we have nowadays, and without having recourse to wagedom. Let us take a group of volunteers, combining for some particular enterprise. Having its success at heart, they all work with their will, save one of the associates, who is frequently absent from his post. Must they on his account dissolve the group, elect a president to impose fines, and work out a code of penalties? It is evident that neither the one nor the other will be done but that some day the comrade who imperils their enterprise will be told friend we should like to work with you but as you are often absent from your post and you do your work negligently you must part go and find other comrades who will put up with your indifference this way is so natural that it is practised everywhere even nowadays in all industries in competition with all possible systems of fines docking of wages supervision etc a workman may enter the factory at the appointed time, but if he does his work badly, if he hinders his comrades by his laziness or other defects, if he is quarrelsome, there is an end of it. He is compelled to leave the workshop. Authoritarians pretend that it is the almighty employer and his overseers who maintain regularity and quality of work in factories. In reality, in every somewhat complicated enterprise, in which the goods produced pass through many hands before being finished, it is the factory itself, the workmen as a unity, who see to the good quality of the work. Therefore, the best factories of British private industry have few overseers, far less on an average than the French factories, and less than the British state factories. A certain standard of public morals is maintained in the same way. Authoritarians say it is due to rural guards, judges and policemen whereas in reality it is maintained in spite of judges policemen and rural guards many of the laws producing criminals were said long ago not only in industrial workshops do things go on this way it happens everywhere every day on a scale that only bookworms have as yet no notion of when a railway company federated with other companies fails to fulfil its engagements when its trains are late and goods lie neglected at the stations the other companies threaten to cancel the contract and that threat usually suffices it is generally believed, at any rate it is taught in state-approved schools, that commerce only keeps to its engagements from fear of lawsuits. Nothing of the sort. Nine times in ten, 
the trader who has not kept his word will not appear before a judge there where trade is very active as in london the sole fact of having driven a creditor to bring a lawsuit suffices for the immense majority of merchants to refuse for good to have any dealings with a man who has compelled one of them to go to law this being so why should means that are used today among workers in the workshop traders in the trade and railway companies in the organization of transport not be made use of in a society based on voluntary work take for example an association stipulating that each of its members should carry out the following contract we undertake to give you the use of our houses stores streets means of transport schools museums etc on condition that from twenty to forty-five or fifty years of age you consecrate four or five hours a day to some work recognized as necessary to existence choose yourself the producing groups which you wish to join or organize a new group provided that it will undertake to produce necessaries and as for the remainder of your time combine together with whomsoever you like for recreation art or science according to the bent of your taste twelve or fifteen hundred hours of work a year in one of the groups producing food clothes or houses or employed in public sanitation transport and so on is all we ask of you for this amount of work we guarantee to you a free use of all that these groups produce or will produce but if not one of the thousands of groups of our federation will receive you whatever be their motive if you are absolutely incapable of producing anything useful or if you refuse to do it then live like an isolated man or like an invalid if we are rich enough to give you the necessaries of life we shall be delighted to give them to you you are a man and you have a right to live but as you wish to live under special conditions and leave the ranks it is more than probable that you will suffer for it in your daily relations with other citizens you will be looked upon as a ghost of bourgeois society unless some friend of yours discovering you to be a talent kindly free you from all moral obligation towards society by doing all the necessary work for you and finally if it does not please you go and look for other conditions elsewhere in the wide world or else seek adherence and organize with them on novel principles we prefer our own this is what could be done in a communal society in order to turn away sluggards if they became too numerous part four we very much doubt that we need fear this contingency in a society really based on the entire freedom of the individual in fact in spite of the premium on idleness offered by the private ownership of capital the really lazy man is comparatively rare unless his laziness be due to illness among workmen it is often said that the bourgeois are idlers there are certainly enough of them but they too are the exception on the contrary in every industrial enterprise you are sure to find one or more bourgeois who work very hard it is true that the majority of bourgeois profit by their privileged position to award themselves the least unpleasant tasks and that they work under hygienic conditions of air food etc which permits them to do their business without too much fatigue but these are precisely the conditions which we claim for all workers without exception it must also be said that if thanks to their privileged position rich people often perform absolutely useless or even harmful work in society nevertheless the ministers heads of departments factory owners traders bankers etc subject themselves for a number of hours every day to work which we find more or less tiresome all preferring their hours of leisure to this obligatory work and if in nine cases out of ten this work is a harmful work we find it none the less tiring for it but it is precisely because the middle class put forth a great energy even in doing harm bracket, knowingly or not close bracket, and defending their privileged position that they have succeeded in defeating the landed nobility and that they continue to rule the masses if they were idlers they would long since have ceased to exist 
and would have disappeared like the aristocracy in a society that would expect only four or five hours a day of useful pleasant and hygienic work these same middle-class people would perform their tasks perfectly well and they certainly would not put up with the horrible conditions in which men toil nowadays without reforming them if a huxley spent only five hours in the sewers of london rest assured that he would have found the means of making them as sanitary as his physiological laboratory as to the laziness of the great majority of workers only philistine economists and philanthropists can utter such nonsense if you ask an intelligent manufacturer he will tell you that if workmen only put it into their heads to be lazy all factories would have to be closed for no measure of severity no system of spying would be of any use you should have seen the terror caused in eighteen eighty seven among british employers when a few agitators started preaching the go kenny theory bad pay bad work take it easy do not overwork yourselves and waste all you can they demoralize the worker they want to kill our industry cried those same people who the day before inveighed against the immorality of the worker and the bad quality of his work but if the workers were what they are represented to be namely the idler whom the employer is supposed continually to threaten with dismissal from the workshop what would the word demoralization signify so when we speak of possible idlers we must well understand that it is a question of a small minority in society and before legislating for that minority would it not be wise to study the origin of that idleness whoever observes with an intelligent eye sees well enough that the child reputed lazy at schools is often the one which simply does not understand because he is being badly taught very often too it is suffering from cerebral anemia caused by poverty and an anti-hygienic education a boy who is lazy at greek or latin would work admirably were he taught science especially if he were taught with the aid of manual labor a girl who is stupid at mathematics becomes the first mathematician of her class if she by chance meets somebody who can explain to her the elements of arithmetic which she did not understand and a workman lazy in the workshop cultivates his garden at dawn while gazing at the rising sun and will be at work again at nightfall when all nature goes to its rest somebody has said that dust is matter in the wrong place the same definition applies to nine-tenths of those called lazy they are people going astray in a direction that does not answer to their temperament nor to their capacities in reading the biography of great men we are struck the number of idlers among them they were lazy so long as they had not found the right path afterwards they became laborious to excess darwin stephenson and many others belong to this category of idlers very often the idler is but a man to whom it is repugnant to spend all his life making the eighteenth part of a pin or the hundredth part of a watch while he feels he has exuberant energy which he would like to expand elsewhere often too he is a rebel who cannot submit to being fixed all his life to a workbench in order to procure a thousand pleasures for his employer while knowing himself to be far the less stupid of the two and knowing his only fault to be that of having been born in a hovel instead of coming into the world in a castle lastly an immense number of idlers are idlers because they do not know well enough the trade by which they are compelled to earn their living seeing the imperfect thing they make with their own hands striving vainly to do better and perceiving that they never will succeed on account of the bad habits of work already acquired they begin to hate their trade and not knowing any other hate work in general thousands of workmen and artists who are failures suffer from this cause on the other hand he who since his youth has learned to play the piano well to handle the plane well the chisel the brush or the file 
so that he feels that what he does is beautiful will never give up the piano the chisel or the file he will find pleasure in his work which does not tire him so long as he is not overdriven under the one name idleness a series of results due to different causes have been grouped of which each one could be a source of good instead of being a source of evil to society like all questions concerning criminality and related to human faculties facts have been collected having nothing in common with one another people speak of laziness or crime without giving themselves the trouble to analyze the cause they are in a hurry to punish these faults without inquiring if the punishment itself does not contain a premium on laziness or crime open footnote kropotkin in russian and french prisons london eighteen eighty seven close footnote this is why a free society if it saw the number of idlers increasing in its midst would no doubt think of looking first for the cause of laziness in order to suppress it before having recourse to punishment when it is a case as we have already mentioned of simple bloodlessness then before stuffing the brain of a child with science nourish his system so as to produce blood strengthen him and that he shall not waste his time take him to the country or to the seaside there teach him in the open air not in books geometry by measuring the distance to a spire or the height of a tree natural sciences while picking flowers and fishing in the sea physical science while bidding the boat he will go to fish in but for mercy's sake do not fill his brain with classical sentences and dead languages do not make an idler of him or oh, here is a child which has never order nor regular habits let the children first inculcate order among themselves and later on the laboratory the workshop the work that will have to be done in a limited space with many tools about under the guidance of an intelligent teacher will teach them method but do not make disorderly beings out of them by your school whose only order is the symmetry of its benches and which true image of the chaos in its teachings will never inspire anybody with the love of harmony of consistency and method in work do not you see that by your methods of teaching framed by a ministry for eight million scholars who represent eight million different capacities you only impose a system good for mediocrities conceived by an average of mediocrities your school becomes a university of laziness as your prison is a university of crime make the school free abolish your university grades appeal to the volunteers of teaching begin that way instead of making laws against laziness which only serve to increase it give the workman who cannot condemn himself to make all his life a minute particle of some object which stifle at his little tipping machine which he ends by loathing give him the chance of tilling the soil of felling trees in the forest sailing the seas in the teeth of a storm dashing through space on an engine but do not make an idle of him by forcing him all his life to attend to a small machine to plough the head of a screw or to drill the eye of a needle suppress the cause of idleness and you may take it for granted that few individuals will really hate work especially voluntary work and that there will be no need to manufacture a code of laws on their account End of objections. Recording by Enco.